0: Sentiment of the chorus itself, when you look at what's happening in the world today, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be saying, Lord, I mean, th- telling people, listen, <laughs> you can have all the world, but just give me Jesus, because that's, <laughs> I don't want this world. When it comes down to it, we don't want to be here anymore. We want to be with Jesus. And we're thankful that he has set up his plan for us. And so we need to be ready because he said, I'm coming. I'm coming for you, but I want you ready. So what a blessed, blessed uh, ministry we received tonight. And I'm so thankful for, for them coming and being with us here. Daniel 9. Is our text, verses 20 through 24. Testing 1, 2. Did you cut me off here? No? All right. It was stronger earlier. Okay. Unless I was just too strong. All right, Daniel chapter 9. We started last week in the first 19 verses of this chapter of Daniel that in fact... Begins the critical part of the prophecies of Daniel. And really sets the tone then for understanding everything that is going to take place in the last days. And Daniel needed to understand things from God about this prophecy. But even before he's going to receive this prophecy, he is so burdened by the other visions that he had received in chapter 7 and 8 that he went into prayer. And, and the whole first 19 verses of this chapter was all about Daniel's prayer. And it began with, in, it began with confession of sin for the people of Israel, for the nation of Israel. But, but he included himself. And it wasn't about Daniel saying, well, these sinners of yours, Lord. No, he said, we have sinned before you. And so he cries out in intercession for his people. For God to have mercy upon them. For God to release them from the captivity that they have been under. And so, in verse 20, as we, as we get into this next section, and we're not, as, as I said before, we're not going to take this really fast, okay? So we're, we're, we're taking it slow. We, we're going to do as much as we can tonight because uh, we, we wanted uh, the group to play as much as possible here tonight, but we, we still need to focus our attention on the Word. So here it says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. So here is, is Daniel's understanding of what was taking place as he's praying. He's just, As I'm praying. And by the way, notice I want you to notice a few things. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and presenting my supplication, all of that... Is, is giving us an indication that when he prayed, he prayed out loud. He prayed crying out to the Lord. Daniel had gotten in trouble doing that before, hadn't he? He'd gotten in trouble with Darius. And Darius, who loved Daniel, didn't want to throw him into the lion's den, but because of being cut up in his own law, there goes Daniel into the lion's den. But the reason why he... Went in there was because he prayed out loud unto God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, and and the, don't be confused by the statement of the man Gabriel. We know Gabriel is an angel. He is a messenger of God, uh, one that we see not only in the Old Testament but in the New Testament. the the uh, the the statement as as him being a, as of a man really is, is, is just to show us that he, he presented himself in a way that he was seen as a man to uh, Daniel. So he said, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, because we had seen him mentioned back in chapter 8, being caused to fly swiftly, which means he came very quickly in the midst of his prayer, Touched me about the time of the evening oblation. I will explain that in a moment. And he informed me and talked with me and he said, "Oh Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Now, skill and understanding here is really uh, more uh, literally insight with understanding. I've come to give you insight with understanding about the prophecies that are going to be given. At the beginning of thy supplications... The commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. In other words, what that's saying is that as soon as Daniel began to pray, God sent him with an answer. For thou art greatly beloved. Now, now consider that. Not only did God want to send him an answer immediately, but because he was greatly beloved. Daniel was held in high esteem. In God's eyes and in God's heart, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. What a tremendous privilege it was for Daniel to bear this particular prophecy. And now the prophecy begins in verse 24. In verse 24, we're going to spend, hopefully we'll get to this today. If not, we we'll get to it when we get to it. 70 weeks. Are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Do not uh, take face value 70 weeks. We'll explain that in a moment. Uh, To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Seventy. That's a number that we're going to be dealing with in the next couple of weeks. But as I said to you earlier in our last study, we focus our attention on Daniel's fervent prayer for the nation of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. Now we can never separate this in the heart of Daniel or in the heart of any of the prophets. Because when the prophets prophesied, they always prophesied really in view of the whole nation of Israel, Although some prophets prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel, others prophesied to the southern kingdom of Israel, some to all the kingdom of Israel, but all, all of the prophets focused on Jerusalem. And Daniel was no different. In his passionate appeal to the Lord, Dan, uh, to the Lord Daniel recognized that the years of captivity in Babylon were almost completed. So there, the, the 70 years were almost up. And being a student of the Word of God, he had obviously read the scroll from the prophet Jeremiah that contained the passage in Jeremiah 29, and we read this last week. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years, that please take to heart, because that's what it means, the 70 weeks, that we'll explain later. For thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, In causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Which means to give you a a future and a hope. And then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. In other words, I'll listen to you and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. And of course that being Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. And so as Daniel called upon the Lord in prayer confessing his sins and the sins of the nation of Israel, we can surely see the burden that was upon his heart. For as he concludes his prayer, he reaches a climax as he pours his heart out before God, for the words that he uses get, get more intense. The words just stro- are stronger and stronger in the Hebrew. Uh, and, and the one verse that he ends there, of course, is in verse 19, when he says, O Lord, hear And he is using the most intense word for hear, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not or delay not, for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And this this was more of a a passionate prayer, a prayer of saying, Lord, do this, do this, please do this, hear us, forgive us, hearken us, uh, hearken unto us, do for us, delay not. For your own sake. In other words, do this for your city. Do this for your people. Do this for those called by your name. And so while Daniel is still in prayer, interceding for his people in God's holy city, Jerusalem, he is interrupted now by a messenger of God. Now, that's a good interruption. If God sends a messenger, let's let him interrupt. You know, because sometimes we say, oh, don't bother me right now, you know. But we want Him to bother us because, we know, we want God's messenger to, to kind of wake us up about some things. So he's interrupted by this messenger of God whose name is Gabriel. And while his prayer was still on his lips, God was there with an answer for him. Now, for those of you that might have problems with prayer, wondering whether prayer works... Maybe the good thing would be to try it. But try it with the understanding that God hears our prayers and He knows our hearts. So what has to be pure before God is our heart when we pray. But don't ever think that He doesn't hear you. Don't ever think that He doesn't care for you. prophet Isaiah said, you know, God's ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. His arm's not short that he cannot save you. But your sins have separated you from God. So in approaching the Lord, we have to purify. We have to lay down our hearts that we might be pure before the Lord when we pray. So remember those things. And the best prayer is, Lord, cleanse me so that my heart and my mind are clean and pure, so that I can lay these burdens down, knowing that you hear them, knowing that you're going to respond. Well, you know what? The Lord responded, and He responded greatly. Uh, And by the way, it's an interesting thing that that the Lord Himself even tells us in His Word how He responds. Look at Isaiah 65, verse 24. This is is just a a continuation of our lesson in prayer last week. But it says, "...and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer." (laughs) And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And this is exactly what happens to Daniel. Before he even prayed, God already knew. Because He already knows our hearts. He knows, he knows our prayers even before we pray them. He knows our needs before we ask for them. And while yet speaking, He says, I will hear. We should never think that God is not ready to answer our prayers. In fact, He's waiting for us to come to Him with our requests... So that he can bless us. One great thing about our God is he likes to bless his people. He loves to bless his people. So that's, the, you know, that's another myth we need to get out of our system. That God doesn't like to bless his people. God's not a Scrooge. Y'all you you all know who Scrooge is, right? We're not in the season for it, but we all know who Scrooge is. That's not God. Our God is a giving God. And the very fact is, none of us can ever outgive God. He is waiting for us to come to Him. Of course, sometimes answers do come immediately, as in this case, but many times we must wait on the Lord for His answers, and they will come and always according to His will and purposes, and also according to His timing. because sometimes He doesn't answer immediately because his timing being perfect is going to be affecting us at the right moment when we receive whatever it is that we're asking for. But in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, uh, Paul says, Be careful or anxious. Be, be anxious for nothing. In other words, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, he's saying, let your request be made known. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, this is the, this is the one verse sometimes we kind of skip over in the lesson of prayer. When we pray, when we pray, We realize that sometimes our prayers aren't going to be answered immediately. Yet, here's what we can do. When we pray, letting our requests be made known to God, and we lay these prayers out and down before the Lord, then we're at peace. Why? Because our prayers are in His hands. They're in God's hands. The requests are in His ears. And in his heart. The peace which passes all understanding is, I don't understand. You know, Lord, I lay these things down to you. But when's it coming? Well, just be at peace. Because you've told me. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Keep you. It'll guard you. It'll make you ready for when the time comes for his answer. Whether his answer comes immediately or it comes tomorrow or it comes next week or next month or next year. Let's get back to Daniel. The timing of, of Gabriel's appearance is not only significant, but I think the timing is quite interesting because in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, getting back to our text, it says, While I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, <coughs> being caused to fly swiftly, which means God sent him quickly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Oblation is just a sacrifice or, or an offering but it is, con- it, it is considered to be the second offering of the day that was to be given. There were to be two offerings given each day, or the, you know, the, the morning offering and the evening offering. And the time of the evening sacrifice in Jerusalem would have been primarily around sunset, except that the preparation for the evening offering began about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So that's when the offering truly began, but went on through, t- uh, through sunset. So this gives us an indication of the time of Daniel's prayer. But why is there mention of the evening sacrifice? Why does he mention the sacrifice at all? Well, first of all, let's, let's know that Daniel remembered the law. Daniel knew the Word of God, and he remembered the law. And look at Numbers 28, verses 3 and 4, because this is part of the, the, the teaching on the, on the morning and evening sacrifice. It says, "...and thou shalt say unto them, this is the offering made by fire which you shall offer unto the Lord." Two lambs of the first year without spot day by day. Notice day by day for a continual burnt offering. Verse four, the one lamb shall thou offer in the morning and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even or at evening. So there was the remembrance of, of an evening oblation or an evening offering or an evening sacrifice that was to be given. Daniel was still in Babylon where there certainly were no sacrifices allowed. And of course, there were no more sacrifices being offered in Jerusalem after its capture. No more sacrifices being offered. So why why is this important? You see, in reading Daniel's prayer, you'll notice that his thoughts didn't focus on captivity, but on the release of his people back to their homeland. Daniel's mind and Daniel's heart were back in Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. And if they could not sacrifice an animal, he knew one thing. They could sacrifice their hearts in prayer unto the Lord. They could offer up prayers unto God. They could offer up praise unto God, worship unto God, thanksgiving unto God. This is all a part of it. This is what brings the, you know, it it takes us out of just the physical action of of a sacrifice that you could put prayers behind or maybe not even put prayers behind and realize that you don't need an animal to go before the Lord and say, Lord, you are great, you are awesome, you are mighty, you are holy. And it makes us realize that we need to pray morning and evening. (laughs) We need to find those days and those times. Well, not the days, every day. We need to find those times every day, to worship the Lord, to praise the Lord, to be living sacrifices that reach out in prayer and in thanksgiving and praise unto the Lord. This, again, is is Daniel. His heart was already back in Jerusalem. And now he talks about his meeting with Gabriel And he informed me and and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Remember, insight with understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. Now this is, of course, Gabriel speaking. I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Six things are mentioned that those 70 weeks have been decreed for Israel. And six things are mentioned as things that must happen prophetically. So the key to understanding the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9, which continues here on into chapter 10, on into chapter 11, and on into chapter 12, but primarily begins here in chapter 9, the key to understanding the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 is found in verse 24. The whole of the verse. And it is important to state that the focus of Daniel's prayer has been the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Now I've said that before, but I'm trying to reemphasize it because it is not speaking about the church. The prophecy is not about the church. The prophecy is not about nations. The prophecy is not about other kingdoms. The prophecy is about Israel and Jerusalem. Very clear. It seems so simple. And yet many people mess this prophecy up, adding confusion in seeking an understanding of end time events. And they begin to apply one thing or another, uh, as far as certain details of prophecies mentioned, to things in the church or to things in the world. No. We have to begin with this understanding. It is directed toward the people of God in Israel. And specifically in Jerusalem. We get to chapter tw- uh, 9, verse 24, and first of all, Daniel is told that the time period of this prophecy. And it is put this way 70 weeks. 70 weeks. But literally in the Hebrew, this would be 77s. That is what you would read 77s. The word is Shibim Shabua. Shibim Shabua. Seventy-sevens. The word Sabbath, Shabbat, comes from the same root word. The Shabbat, the seventh day. And since Daniel had been considering God's program in terms of years. So this is what I'm trying to establish for you now. The understanding of the 70 weeks should be considered the 70 weeks of years. And so, notice that Daniel has been reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, and we saw that last week. Well, let's go back to Jeremiah for a moment, Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12, and notice what it says. And this whole land shall be a desolation, speaking of the land of Israel, and an astonishment, And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. So we know that from the prophecy there in chapter 29, that uh, there there were going to be twenty, I should say, seventy years that they were supposed to serve in Babylon in captivity. And then notice, though, in verse 12 of Jeremiah 25, And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual uh, desolation. So, again, he is dealing with years when he reads the prophecy. He's dealing with years. But don't consider that this is the only place where we see that. We also go to the writings of the Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, where it says to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. Her sevens. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. What is threescore and ten years? Seventy years. Okay, so we're dealing with years. It would be more natural then for him to understand these sevens at the beginning of verse 24 of Daniel 9 as years. That is just the consistent view prophetically. Of what Daniel's prophecy is all about, so the Hebrew people thought always in terms of sevens. By the way, we in our society, in our culture, Western culture, we look at things sometimes in, in decades. We look at things in tens, and you know, kind of a ten number numbering system. Uh, but uh, but not uh, the Hebrews. The Hebrews considered things in sevens because this is what God gave them. From the very beginning. In other words, uh, seven days in one week. Well, we do that too, don't we? Seven days in a week. Every seventh year for the Jewish people was a Sabbath year. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year. Remember last week we said this is one reason why they got in... When, one of the reasons they got in trouble with God is they didn't honor the seventh year and keep the land fallow. In other words, not, not work the land. Seven sevens, by the way, seven sevens brought them to the year of jubilee, so they would go seven years, and the seven, you know, the, and then so the seven sevens, that's forty-nine years. After the forty-nine years, there was the ju- the year of jubilee. <clears throat> so seventy sevens. Then what we're going to see is a span of forty. Uh, I'm sorry, four hundred and ninety years, seventy times seven. 490 years, the, the, uh, four, 490 could not designate days, which would be about a year, a little over a year, right? Because we normally would say 360 is a year in the Hebrew calendar thinking. Uh, so the 490 could not designate days, about a year, for that would not be enough time for the events prophesied. The same would be true of 490 weeks of seven days. That would only equal 3,430 days or about 9 years. Well, you can't fit all the prophecy in 9 years. Also, if days were intended, one would expect Daniel to have added of days after 77s, as in Daniel chapter 10, and we'll see this later. But in verses 3 and 4, it literally says three sevens of days. So that's specific in Daniel 10, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But here it is talking about years. Also, since Israel and Judah had failed to keep the sabbatical year, in other words, every seventh year, as I said, the land was to lie fallow. uh, That was Leviticus 25. Throughout our history, the Lord enforced on the land 70 Sabbaths. And we see that in Leviticus chapter 26. So 490 years were required To complete seventy sabbatical years, with one occurring every seventh year. Now, don't get all excited about all this stuff, and you're trying to maybe trying to write it all down. I'm coming back to it little by little in the next few weeks, because it is very important that we get specifically the timing of all of these things. So you'll see how it works in history. Because remember, some of this has already been fulfilled, and some of it has yet. To be fulfilled. So don't worry about me going on and on about this, because we're going to be more specific later. But the span of time was decreed for Daniel's people. Daniel's people. And if you'll, re, if you'll look ahead to chapter 10, verse 14, notice what it says there. It says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people. In other words, your people, Daniel. Now, this is, this is important. Daniel's people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jewish people. Uh, in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. If you go to the next chapter, Daniel 11, verse 14, it says, And in those times they shall, uh, there shall many stand up against the king of the south. Also the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves to establish the vision. But they shall fall. So, again... Uh, This is just making it clear that the prophecy is about Daniel's people, which is, of course, God's people, Israel. Now, what will the end of those 490 years bring to the nation of Israel? Because if if we're dealing with 490 years prophetically about the land and the people of Israel, then we need to understand what's the end of it. What is going to happen at the end? We are told of six events, as I said earlier, that will be accomplished, which are directly related to Israel and God's program for them. And keep in mind that these events have not been completely fulfilled as yet, and we'll see this as we go through these things. So the first thing we find that is to be completed in this prophecy for Israel and Jerusalem is to finish the Transgression. That's in, that's in verse 24. Now we're just dealing with verse 24. We might make it... Well, we're only going to make it through half of the list today, hopefully. So we're going to really try. To finish the transgression, what does it mean? The Lord will bring an end, in other words, to Israel's rebellion against Him. He's going to bring their rebellion to an end. That is the purpose of the 490 years, to bring Israel's rebellion against God to an end. I want you to listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 23 through 29, very carefully. It says, And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. That is the God of Israel punishing Israel for their sin. For their transgression. Literally, iniquity here is lawlessness. They broke the laws of God willfully. And so the heathen shall know, uh, the nations as it were, shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they trespassed against me. They trespassed against me, therefore hid I my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies so fell they all by the sword. Now, in verse 34, uh, 24 it says, According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them and hid my face from them. So when, when something is repeated, it's repeated for emphasis. It's repeated for the strength of what was done to Israel. Now, please understand this. The way the world is wanting to understand God today is God is a you know he's getting old now He's getting old and 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 you know he's you know he he just kind of sits on his throne just kind of waiting for things just to kind of happen and so you know he's not as 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 strong against things as he was before, so maybe what that means is we could probably, you know, push the envelope a little bit more in certain things in life, and maybe he's really changed his mind about them because you know what? He's not punishing anybody. So why are you Christians reading the Bible anyway? That's all old stuff. Do you understand what? what, what, what you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make it light here, but, but that's the thing. God is not change. God has not changed. And His law has not changed. And His word has not changed. And His decrees have not changed. And His judgments will not change. So, understand that the emphasis here is for us to realize God's serious about these things. And then He says uh, in verse 25, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob... And have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. This is God's desire, is to be merciful to His people and will be jealous for my holy name. In other words, zealousness, jealous of of them and protect them and keep them. And then it goes on to say, after that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' hands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there, Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. This is what he is working toward in those 490 years. Now one thing that we can say is a few things are happening for us to know that this is going to happen. Israel is back in the land. They're no longer under captivity. But, as we are going to find out in the rest of the prophecy, there's a seven year period that is yet left for the people of Israel today. And we will see that clearly the next time. These are the seven years that eventually will transfer transfer in our hearts and minds as being the great tribulation period, or the tribulation period that includes the great tribulation period of the last three and a half years. That's the judgment. That is something that is, you know, we we oftentimes think, well, that's the only... You know, God's going to really come down against the world. No, He's still judging Israel. Because to this day, Israel, have, have, they have not yet, as a nation, fully received the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They have, if you go back uh, just a step, you know, yeah, they're gathering into their own land now, uh, but uh, it says, then shall they know that I'm the Lord their God. Some of them don't know that yet. So th- this is why it's still not yet fully fulfilled. So with that in mind, what this all means ultimately is that Israel will turn back to God, they will repent of their ways, and eventually they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah. For as Jesus told the nation of Israel in Matthew 23, verse 39, He said, For I say unto you, You shall not see Me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You shall not see me until you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh. The Jews will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and weep for what they have done to Him, as we shall see very shortly. But now we might ask the question, has this taken place? And as I said, well, for those Jews who have turned to Jesus we can say, yes, it's happened for them. But for the nation as a whole, we can safely say no. But by the end of the tribulation period and the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, we will see this come to pass. Remember that the 490 years will bring this to completion. The next point one, the next point, and the next event is to make an end of sins. Not really the same as the first to finish the transgression. The transgression was, of course, for all of the, uh, uh, the rebellion of Israel against, uh, against God. But what we've said before about the word sin comes from a word that means to miss the mark. You see, God's standard is perfection and we fall short of that mark, don't we? But for the nation of Israel, it too speaks of missing the mark with their immorality, with their idolatry. And yet we are told that God will put an end to their sins or seal them up, as it were. Because we read, listen, in Romans 11, verses 26 and 27, it says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion uh, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So this is God's promise through Jesus Christ to take away their sins. Has that happened? Well, in a way, yes. Jesus' death on the cross not only paid the penalty for our sins, but for the whole world, including the Jewish people. Let's let's never forget that. Who Jesus died for. But like much of the world... The Jewish people have rejected their Messiah and are still dead in their trespasses and sins. But for all who repent and come to Jesus Christ, including the Jewish people, their sins are forgiven. If you've come to Jesus Christ and He has changed your life and He has taken your sins and He has shown you that He has given you a new mind and a new heart to understand all of this, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. And again, the fulfillment will take place at the end of the tribulation period, which is the last seven years of the 490. And then thirdly, to make reconciliation for iniquity. We'll be just a couple of minutes, not too much longer. So we'll cover the first three today, and then we'll start with the next three next time. But to make reconciliation for iniquity. I want you to notice that all three of the first uh, first three of the six all deal with some kind of transgression or sin or iniquity. It is to make reconciliation now for iniquity. All three of these things actually have been fulfilled to a certain extent through Jesus Christ coming the first time to take upon Himself the sins of men and to go to the cross and to shed His blood for the remission of sins and to die, to be buried, and to rise again on the third day. So, to make reconciliation for iniquity, this of course was accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ, but will not fully be recognized until He returns. I want you to read in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, it says, And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself, by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? Very simply it just means to, to buy back. Or to reconcile is to stand between uh, two opponents and bring them to peace. And this is what Jesus Christ did for us. Because before we became Christians, before we became uh, born again, we were at war with God, His Father. He became our intercessor, He became our advocate. And He brought us to the Father. And the Father forgave us and has made us joint heirs with Christ. So, that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? To understand it that way. And then it says, To wit, so that that God was in the world, or God, I'm sorry, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So now we can understand a little bit more fully what it means to reconcile or the reconciliation of, uh, for iniquity. The nation of Israel will not fully recognize this until they call upon the one that they pierced, Jesus Christ, which will be during the tribulation period and will reach its complete fulfillment during the millennial kingdom and the, the close of the tribulation period. I want you to consider Zechariah's prophecy because this again was what I was saying about them weeping for their sins. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against against Jerusalem. I want you to notice something because we're almost done here and I'm I'm just going to take another couple of minutes to finish up. But I, I want to constantly remind you that what you see happening in the world today with the troubles in the Middle East especially with groups like ISIS or Al-Qaeda. And we can name all kinds of other splinter-type groups, things that are happening over there, things that are happening in Europe, things that are happening, as we saw, just in Garland, Texas, just a few hundred miles to the east of El Paso. And ISIS claiming responsibility for that. Even though no Americans, at least, that were a part of the event, you know, we can argue whether the event should have taken place or not. But the point of the matter is this. With all of these things happening, this is the time to awaken to the fact that everything that God has written in His Word is true. And He said there's a time coming. And the one thing that Jesus told us, and He told us time and time again, is beware of deception. And we're living in the days of deception. And it's time to stand upon the truth of the Word of God. It is time right now to be trusting in God's Word completely. You know, the songs we heard tonight, I mean, I I think that they were so uh, appropriate. You know, trust and obey. There's no other way. Be happy in Jesus. You know, hey, you can have the world. Just give me Jesus. That's what some people were saying when their heads were taken off of them not too long ago. We stand on the cross. No matter what you do to us, Jesus is our Lord. This is the days and times in which we live. We can't keep our heads in the sand any longer. So it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And you know what? Nations are going to come against Jerusalem. Nations have been coming against Israel for how long? And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Who is it talking about? Jesus. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. I mean, if this doesn't open the eyes of the Jewish people to know that Jesus is the Messiah, I don't know what else. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddon. Uh, That was the, the time of the death of King Josiah. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart and their wives apart, and the family of Shimei apart and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart and their wives apart. Why is that important? Because what it's saying is, it wasn't just this national thing of everybody gathering together, whether they wanted to or not, whether they felt like it or not, whether they felt the impact of it or not. No. Every family apart. Every family apart. Burdened by all that has happened. Weeping over the fact that they have now seen their Messiah. Weeping sincere about what has happened. Let me give you a quick indication of that of, of that feeling. Maybe, maybe this happened to you on September the 11th, 2001. But when this nation was attacked, how many people all of a sudden decided to go back to church? But before they did, they were weeping in their own homes, wondering, what's going on? Is this, is this the end? Some people didn't, but a lot of people did. We had rallies. We had rallies on the steps of the White House, of the, of the uh, Capitol and, and all of that and singing God Bless America until what? Until oh, finally everything was okay and then we finally went back to doing whatever we wanted to do. But the weeping didn't continue. And now look at what's happening. Look at, look at what's coming back to our shores. So this is just a, re, a reminder that When it says they went apart, that means they weren't looking to be seen in their weeping. They really wept in their own homes with their own people for the sake of their nation Israel. So as God pours out His Spirit on the nation of Israel and they recognize what they've done, that they have crucified their Messiah, maybe not by their own hands but by the rejection of Him, it causes the nation to mourn over what they have done, and, the, and not only the, whole, the nation as a whole, but individually, you see, they saw what they had done and were mourning. So I'm just going to skip over a few things here. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's stop here. Let's just go ahead and stop here. And we'll pick up here in the next time. But the important thing is that Verse 24, and we'll just review these when we start next time, and then we'll, um, we'll carry on through the rest of the chapter next time. Uh, but very slowly, because we're not going we're we're to miss any details, okay? I'm just letting you know that. So I don't know how fast we're going to go, but, you know, just, just realize this. It's, it's, it's going to be covered. Things are going to be covered. So I, I just had you know, rush on on some things here today. I hope that it was understandable. But as I said, we will come back to some of these things, especially the issues of the 70 and so on. So we'll, we'll we'll we won't rush as as much as we did tonight. So what this what this tells us is that day of Jesus Christ is coming. The day is coming because it's been prophesied. These aren't just words that were written. Haphazardly, there were words that were given by God to men to write down, to warn people of many different generations but most importantly to warn this generation that God is serious about what's happening in the world today but we don't have to fear because if we know Jesus Christ then we know the one who has already conquered sin and death. We already know the one who has been victorious over the enemy. And he's even going to allow the enemy to do some more stuff toward the end, but eventually the enemy will be put into the lake of fire along with all of his minions. And I'm not talking about those little yellow guys with big glasses. Because that's what that means. The minions are those who follow after the devil and the Antichrist. All this is real. We're not going to go into any kind of conspiracy theories about, you know, one thing or another because we have the Word of God open to us. Nothing's conspiratorial here. It's out in the open. It's God's Word. And so let's trust Him. Let's pray like Daniel prayed. Let's live like Daniel lived. Let's dare to be Daniels. Let's dare to be men and women that will stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time The fellowship. We thank you for the wonderful music we've been blessed with. We pray for, for, uh, for Chelsea and for Emmett and for Hillary and Kay. We pray for them and ask you to bless them, Lord. That, uh, Lord, as they continue their travels, that you will protect them and provide for their every need. Grant them, Lord God, your blessings. And grant those here tonight your blessings and the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for your love. Lord, we don't want to take it for granted and we never want to take advantage of it. We just want to live with pure and holy hearts to honor you and to bless you and to say with our lips that you are Lord and there is no other. We thank you for that precious name of Jesus. May you be honored and glorified this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.